Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 189. My name's Adam Patterson. Joining me today, Kevin Rakestraw. How the hell are you, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. How was your Halloween? Did you do anything fun? Uh, I drank and handed out candy. Oh, nice. So you had trick-or-treaters this year. First year. Yeah, first year. Trick-or-treaters. First year doing the trick-or-treat thing, huh? Yeah, that's some good costumes. That's cool. I had some family in town, and we tried, we attempted to go to the Halloween parade, but there were so many people that basically every street was blocked off by the police so we could not get to where the parade was and we tried for like an probably at least half an hour to get through and we we'd go down one street because it was it was going up sixth ave so we'd go down one street and there'd be barricades and the, the cops would be like nope can't can't go up here full completely full so we'd go up another street and then try to get over and be like nope completely full can't can't do it can't get through so we were Basically said, screw it, and just went to a bar. There you go. <laughs> that's a, that's the best way to end any like extended sequence yeah. of rejection. <laughs> well, the, the problem the problem with that was that all the bars we went to were so packed that you could barely move. So nice. Like we first tried Auto Shrunken Head, which is one of my favorite bars that's relatively close to where I live, and. I figured that would be kind of a really cool bar to go to on Halloween because it's kind of themed around that to begin with. But yeah, that was, it was really packed. And then we ended up finding this um, pretty cool place that's kind of close to, to, to my apartment that had flamenco dancing. <laughs> All right. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. Had a, had a pretty good time. This week on the show, we'll be talking about two indies. First, we'll be taking a look at the Italian coming-of-age story, The Wonders, and we'll be following that up with Sebastian Silva's Nasty Baby. Of course, we'll also be going over some of what we're watching on the watch list. We'll be doing some movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases, or just rather, Blu-ray releases. That's what we're doing these days. First up, we're going to go over some movie news. The biggest, there, there wasn't a whole lot of news stories to come out this week, but I think probably the biggest one was that... The NYPD called to boycott the Hateful Eight after Quentin Tarantino went to a rally and spoke at a protest. Oh, no. So, over, over the weekend, last weekend, Quentin Tarantino attended a rally protesting cases of police brutality in New York City. And, unfortunately, this happened right after a police officer here in the city was shot and killed. So, the timing was... Not great on that, but, you know, when, when is a good time to, to do that? There's always something happening. After that happened, uh, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Houston, New Jersey, Chicago, they all joined in the boycott, and then the National Police Union joined in on the boycott. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a, a quote here from the National Police Union. This is from their uh, website, I believe. They said, quote, we ask officers to stop working special assignments or off-duty jobs such as providing security, traffic control, or technical advice for any of Tarantino's projects. So, yeah. yeah. What, what's your take on this? What do you think? Seems a bit ridiculous. Yeah, it seems a bit ridiculous. I think anybody has 
the right to protest if they want, yeah. regardless of whether or not they're a filmmaker. And the the whole police union asking for officers to stop doing off duty security and stuff that doesn't that just hurts the public. How does that? Well, just, it to, again, it just makes him look even worse. Yeah, how does that stick it to Tarantino? Like, oh, well, we're not going to protect people It's just your movies. It, yeah, it's just, again, the, the thing that irritates me the most about police is they don't understand their fucking job, which is you work for us. Yeah. You protect and serve us. You go by the law. You don't get to just make up your own shit and do whatever you want. Yeah, it's, that's why it's, people are upset with you. Yeah, they're giving themselves the bad PR. Oh, they do it all the time. They're out of control. Police I, are out of control. I agree. I, I completely agree. I think that there are a lot of cases where you know things should be looked at. You know, like the the whole thing where uh, the video that surfaced this past week of the the officer that uh, tackled that girl. Oh yeah, like see that video? ripped her out of the chair and everything. Yeah, like what the yeah, what the fuck? I think that everything should be looked at it on a case by case basis, and with that one in particular, you know, that's that kind of has me torn. Apparently, the girl was being really disruptive, and they asked her twelve times to get up, and it could look. And I'm playing devil's advocate here, but it could look worse than it really was. Like, you know, cause yeah, those are, but, the way but that even, those... But even then, like, you don't... That guy in that situation doesn't have to flex that much. Right, right. Like, you just just pick her up and move her, all right? You don't have to fucking tackle her onto the ground and then drag her around and shit. Yeah. Just pull her out of the chair and take her out. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous that you get that worked up from a teenage girl. Yeah. It shows me that you shouldn't be in the position that you're in. If you get that worked up from a teenage girl. Now, a lot of people are, are saying, uh, could this impact the the money brought in, the box office uh, earnings <laughs> for the Hateful Eight? And my answer to that is no. No. There no. is no way that this will affect... This will have no impact on the Hateful Eight whatsoever. No. Because Tarantino fans will see it regardless. This means nothing to them. And yeah. I think that... When stories like this come out, 90% of the people will side with Tarantino in this because he did nothing wrong. If, if, if he wants to attend a protest or speak at a protest for an issue that he feels passionately about, then he has the right to do that without, you know, feeling some kind of, uh, being worried about some kind of boycott of his movies. You know, this is, you know, it's, it's separating the, the person from the, the art that they make, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, kind of ridiculous. A little bit, yeah. And also the fact that this comes out, this this all happens, you know, if The Hateful Eight was coming out this week, I think maybe it would have more of an impact. But the fact that it's not coming out to the end of the year, this will probably blow over oh, yeah. by then. There, yeah. there will be something else going on by then. And this gives uh, the cops... Plenty more opportunities to, you know, shoot an unarmed person or whatever, and oh, I'm that'll sure that'll, that'll completely negate anything that they're doing here. Oh, I'm sure. And also, just just recently, I think it was yesterday, uh, the Weinstein Company, uh, I think specifically Harvey Weinstein, came out and asked Tarantino to apologize. 
What? Yeah. Why? I don't. I don't know, man. It's it's ridiculous. I think that that Weinstein's looking at this and he's like, oh God, we got to do something about this. Or or he's trying to to keep it going. Oh, that could be too. Get that get that publicity. Yeah, he's a yeah he's a trickster. That one. So <laughs> he's that a could, trickster. That could be. That could be. Yeah, oh, he's such a trickster. <laughs> that Harvey. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of ridiculous unfortunately that was pretty much the biggest news this week that a lot of people were talking about that um wes anderson might make a horror movie this this one's kind of interesting so in a conversation with novelist donna tart at the rome film festival they did this segment where it was like 10 filmmaking questions and anderson said during one of the questions quote I have thought about of doing a horror movie, and I have thought about doing a Christmas movie. Horror is an area where if a filmmaker really wants to use all the tricks, the techniques to affect your emotions, with the kind of movies I do, you're supposed to say, is this part supposed to be funny or is this part supposed to be sad? Well, you say, I don't know, I'm not sure. This is the way we wanted it. When, you're, when you make a horror or thriller... You say you're supposed to be scared here. You're supposed to be relieved here. Here we're explaining something so you know the, you know the next part. So, so you know the next part so you'll be more scared then. This, this doesn't make him sound like a very articulate. I know he is, but the quote does not make him sound very articulate. Yeah. I like the idea of requirements and obligations of working in a genre like that. I've done some scenes like that, but I'd like to do a scary movie. Wes Anderson doing a horror movie is infinitely intriguing to me. I would love to see him do a horror movie. Yeah. I just I I want to see him do any movie. I don't really care what it is. <laughs> the I mean the Christmas movie would be cool too, but I would really like to see him do a horror movie. I want to see him do a horror movie and I want to see Tarantino do a horror movie. Come on. What about a Christmas horror movie? Oh. Uh, you yeah, know, no, not really. You get to do you get to do both, Wes. I'm not honestly. I'm not super into Christmas horror movies. Maybe Black Christmas, Prime, the only one that I really like. Or, or if you want to count Rare Exports, but I don't typically like Christmas horror movies. I would love, yeah, I would love to see his take on a on a horror movie. I think it'd be great, considering the fact that really all he's done is comedy. Yeah, I mean he he definitely straddles the line between drama and comedy, but. I would say, by and large, all of his movies have been comedy, and, and hey, that, that works. That It's good, but I would like to see him kind of branch off and do, do a different genre. I think that'd be pretty cool. John Wick 2 casts Common as villain and confirms that Ian McShane is also returning. So Common is going to be one of the bad guys in John Wick 2. Okay. Things are moving forward nicely with that one. What do you think about Common... Being a bad guy in John Wick too. Sure. Why? I think it. I mean, it's just gonna be another. I kind of like the idea of seeing Common get his ass kicked by John Wick. <laughs> yeah, because the first thing that you think is that John Wick is going to kill Common. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, rough him up a good bit. Yeah. So I yeah I like that idea. Yeah, I think it could be pretty fun. I mean, I'm just, I want John Wick 2 right now. That's, that's uh, all yeah, I, want. I want. I want that as well. I just want more. I don't care who's in it. I just want it. Yeah. I like that Ian McShane is returning. 
because I liked his character and I wanted more of his character in that movie. When but I then again, I like Ian McShane and want more of Ian McShane in anything and there everything. You there you go. Trailers this week. Got a bunch of trailers. There's a few that I'm going to mention here. I'm not, not going to mention all the trailers that came out this week, but these are just some highlights. The Ridiculous Six. This is the Adam Sandler one. You know, he cut that deal with Netflix uh, oh, yeah. a while back to do, I don't know how many movies, like four or five movies or whatever with Netflix. And this is going to be the first one. It's a Western comedy. Oh, this, this is the one with the racism? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. plenty of, of course, there's going to be plenty of racism. This looks unbelievably horrible. There's so many people in this, too, and I just don't understand how there can be... It's, that's his way of trying to cloud the fact that it's... It's so terrible. It's uh, so it's a it's a western about six brothers who um go on a mission to find their father, and the brothers are played by Adam Sandler, Terry Crews, uh, Jorge Garcia, Taylor Lautner, Rob Schneider, and Luke Wilson. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. Uh. Yeah. I don't know about this one. Steve Buscemi's also in it. Norm MacDonald, Danny Trejo, Will Forte, Nick Nolte, um, Steve Zahn, David Spade, Chris Parnell, Whitney Cummings, John Turturro. That's, that's just too many people. There's a lot of people in this, but man, I I kind of don't want to see it just for Taylor Lautner alone because his character looks horrible. It looks like they're making fun of uh, mentally disabled people. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, Looks like going there with that. Does it sound like something Adam Sandler would do? <laughs> so I believe that that's going to be on Netflix starting December 11th. Uh, it's like Bad Grandpa. Yeah, Bad Grandpa. Dirty Grandpa. Dirty Grandpa starring Zac Efron and Robert De Niro. This looks absolutely terrible. It's about Zac Efron taking his grandpa on a road trip to Tampa for spring break. No. After... No. No. After his wife nope. dies and he no. goes wild. No. No. Aubrey Plaza's also in it. Looks uh, terrible. Looks absolutely terrible. All right. One that I'm actually really excited for is Don Verdeen. <laughs> this is the the new one from Jared Hess. And uh, have you seen... No, you haven't seen this trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I know enough. It's got Sam Rockwell and Jermaine. That's all. Yes. I don't care about anything else. But it's got this kind of... VHS look to it. It looks like it was all kind of shot on VHS, and it's about I think Sam Rockwell plays a some sort of archaeologist. He's a biblical archaeologist, and and he he get he gets sent to the Holy Land to uncover these ancient relics, but he can't find any. (laughs) He just fails. Very excited for this one. This one also stars Amy Ryan, Danny McBride, Will Forte, Leslie Bibb. Yep. Yeah. I'm in. Sign, sign, sign me up for this one, please. This also opens in theaters December 11th. Uh, next up, there is Hello, My Name is Doris. Now, this one definitely does not appeal to me. I don't think that this is a, a film that is marketed <laughs> for me, but... It is, uh, it's directed by Michael Showalter. Okay. So, it's, uh, with Sissy Spacek, or, no, sorry. Sally Field, and I get them mixed up for some reason. Sally Field and Max Greenfield, and from 
the trailer, it seems like Sally Field kind of is in maybe the middle of a midlife crisis or something, and she ends up falling for this new co-worker that comes into her firm, and it's he's played by Max Greenfield, and she kind of lets loose. Even though she's older, she kind of lets loose and gets a little wild. Oh, man. Everybody letting loose. Yeah. This one, uh, nah. Not 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 feeling it. I'm not feeling it from the from the trailer at least. But like I like most of the people in this one. I like Michael Showalter. So who knows? That comes out March 11th, 2016. So that one's a little ways off. And that's pretty much it. Those are those were the big trailers. There were a couple that came out at the end of the week, but nothing uh, nothing major from the looks of it. Finally, this week, Bad Santa 2. Has been confirmed, and Billy Bob Thornton will be coming back to star. Now, Kevin, were you a fan of the first Bad Santa? I thought it was all right. Yeah, you know, this one, this was an interesting one, because it it did very well at the box office. The critics liked it a lot. But I just, I don't know, for some reason, I did not get into this one. I thought it was all right. Definitely, I don't need another one. one. I thought one was fine. Yeah, especially... 13 years after yeah. the first one. What? I don't why do they make these decisions? Who makes these decisions? I don't know. Why do they keep making terrible ones? I don't know. Not sure. Not sure about that one. Hmm. What we also don't know is if Terry's wig off is coming back to direct. They didn't announce <laughs> that. Basically all they said was it's happening and Billy Bob Thornton's coming back. That's it. So there's no plot details, no other cast details. Nothing other than we're doing it. I think that they begin shooting in January, too. That was the other little tidbit that was announced. Well, no offense, but I hope it fails. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I just, necess- just want it to fail. I don't necessarily hope it fails, but my guess is that this one will be coming out next Christmas. Not this one, but next Christmas. So, that's it for news. Let's talk about our first movie this week. I was thinking we could do The Wonders. Let's do it. Let's do let's do The Wonders. So this is written and directed by Alice Rohrwasher. I have a synopsis here. A family of beekeepers living in the Tuscan countryside finds their household disrupted by the simultaneous arrival of a silently troubled teenage boy and a reality TV show intent on showcasing the family. I find that synopsis a little misleading because it's not quite like that. No. Um, really. I, I think that I'm going to start this one off this week. And I got to say, this one this one didn't really do it for me. I, I found it to be okay, but for me it was a bit of a manila folder in that I just, I just watched it and it was over. And I was like, okay. <laughs> there it was. There it was. That happened. And then you just kind of moved on with your life? Yeah, yeah. There just there wasn't a lot for me to to grab onto with this one. I didn't think it looked particularly good. I mean, it was shot on film, so it's got that going for it. At yeah. least it looked like it was shot on film. But I found everything to be kind of muted as far as the colors. I thought that the cinematography was pretty pretty generic. I mean, there were some bits of uh, of good looking um, like. Uh, backgrounds here and there but eh. i thought when it when it was working in the in the kind of um i don't know how you want to 
describe that, like the more magical realism type space. I thought the movie worked really well then, like towards the end where a couple of things happen, like um, when the girl goes out and finds Martin. And yeah, then, like everything that happened on the island. Yeah, when they were in the cave and, you know, the camera's on them and they're sleeping and the camera kind of tilts up and comes the with the flickering lights and the, the shadows and everything. You see them dancing around and all that. Yeah. And they kind of pop up and then the camera comes back, but they're still laying there sleeping. Yeah. yeah. I thought that, that was fantastic. The, like the boat ride out to the island was great. That looked good. Just the, how the the reflections of the like the water looked like glass, and it was just really yeah. Calm. And when they were, and then when they were searching for Martin with the with the spotlight from the boat, all that was fantastic. But it, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. I thought when it was working in in those spaces, it was it was it was exciting. It was interesting. But everything else was just kind of you almost want to say more of the same. Yeah, it's it's not that it was bad by any stretch. It was just kind of like this little slice of life story about these beekeepers doing their thing, cultivating that honey. Yeah. Filling the buckets, changing the buckets. Change those buckets. They gotta change those buckets out. Which they're not they yeah, they don't do a really good job with those buckets though. No. That was like their Achilles heel, it seemed like. Something as simple as moving a bucket and putting another bucket there. They just really had a lot of trouble with that. Yeah. Change the buckets. Just, I mean, change the buckets. That's all you got to do. Um, but yeah, it just uh, I don't know. This one was just a little bit of a misfire for me. I, it's not that there was anything inherently wrong with it, other than I found it to be a little slow. There just wasn't a lot going on here. Yeah, no, it's definitely there's not a lot that like kind of jumps out at you, and you know, kind of speaks to you in terms of oh, this is something special. Yeah, I I didn't feel any kind of big connections to the characters or anything. I mean, I will uh, say that their dad was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, their dad was ridiculous. I, I want to say that at least 90% of the movie, he didn't have any clothes on at all. He was just wandering around in his underwear. Yeah. In his tidy whities uh, Unbelievable. And I just, I don't know why, but I did love the entire sequence when he comes home and he has this surprise. And then, you know, it kind of it gets replaced by something else that happens, so they don't mm-hmm. really talk about it. And then they they go outside and you see what the surprise is, and yeah. you're like, "Oh yeah, that's right. He really wanted that. Why? Yeah, I don't Why? know. <laughs> Why do they have this? Because she, because even his daughter said like, "No, no, don't. I don't want that. <laughs> no one was on board with it because it made um, no sense whatsoever to have one. But there's some." He spent something... all the money. Yeah. I, and I, I mean, naturally, the mom, his wife, gets really pissed at him. Well, yeah. I definitely would, too. Because that thing probably costs a good bit. Well, and then the, the, the amount of money that goes into to keeping it. Right. Plus, uh, the one of the big through lines of this movie is that they're on the verge of having their, their farm taken away from them because... Essentially, they're not up to code. They need to have uh, where they extract the honey and all of that stuff. They need it to be in a clean lab with a a, a white floor that has drainage. They need to have uh, walls that are that are you're able to clean the walls. And basically, they're in this like nasty, disgusting shed to to do their honey stuff. 
Yeah, (laughs) all the work is done by kids. Yeah, and all the work is done by kids, young kids. So they're on the verge of having their their whole operation shut down, which basically makes the father stressed out the entire time. Yeah. And on the verge of losing it at any moment. But he exacerbates things by spending all their money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, there's one thing that I wanted to touch on. There's something that happens towards the end of the movie. Uh, so, so in addition to the, the husband and the wife, they have four kids. They have four daughters. Yeah. And going back to the synopsis, there's this reality show thing that's happening. Basically, it's not really a reality show. It's more of a contest. It's more of a televised contest. Yeah. And they they become one of the finalists, one of the seven families, I think, that are finalists to win this cash prize that will end up saving their farm. It'll be enough money for them to do the upgrades that they need to do to save their their farm. And they make it to the finals. They go to this island where they're filming filming everything in this kind of cave. It's ridiculous, first of all. The, the whole TV show thing is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> It looks horrible. Uh, there's something that happens during that scene that di- I didn't quite expect, but in addition to the family living there, they're also living with, um, is it the mom's sister? Is that what it is? Who it is? I think so. And something happens with her there that I was a little confused about, but wh- do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Well, I think is it's just really used as a catalyst to have martin go missing yes exactly but But, yeah i didn't quite understand it either it felt extremely contrived it happened and then they never mentioned it again and afterwards after martin disappeared like the next day it seemed like everybody just kind of forgot about it and to me like that's a pretty big well i mean they leave the island and they're like uh we should really find this kid and they're like nah it's all right let's go we have, we have we have to get out of here. So they just they just abandoned the kid on a on an island. I don't know that that whole scene with the ant. I thought was it, 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 it was, was odd. It, it was, was really odd. odd, and I thought that it was going to head down a darker path. But yeah, they just kind of let it go after that scene. Just abandoning the kid on an island. Sorry. Right. Yeah, whatever. He doesn't talk anyway. He whistles. He does whistle. That is something that he does. And he, he, that's like ridiculous whistling. I didn't know people could whistle like that, to be honest. It irritated me a little bit. Because number one, I can't whistle. So that's already bad enough. But then when you hear someone whistle like that, it's just like, man, I'm really far behind. Yeah, and he's a 14-year-old kid, too. I know, fucker. Unbelievable. I don't really have anything else to say about this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't much either. Uh, I'm, I'm like you. It's like, ah, that was pretty good. Sorry. Yeah, I thought that the performances were were good. The the kids did a good job. Even the little kids. You know, normally I I don't like kids in movies. <laughs> or for some for some reason I I judge them more harshly than <laughs> than adult actors. Uh, not I, intentionally, I do, I do but find that odd that you're like more forgiving to bad acting from adults, but bad acting from kids, you're like no fucking way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is, but I thought the kids. 
I thought the kids did all did a really good job. Now I don't know what the the backstory is of these actors, but you know they seem to be really comfortable working around a shitload of bees, and I definitely would not be. No, I'd be terrified. And I mean, it was it was slightly interesting in that aspect because I just find like beekeeping to be a very interesting line of work. Yeah. So it was kind of you know it was interesting to see them working. Like that, and when they're collecting those those masses of bees, like that would be absolutely terrified. Yeah, they're just picking them up, like a, just picking up balls of bees. Yeah, it's like eighty million bees. And the one girl's comfortable with having the damn things in her mouth. Yeah, she's like crawling bees. all over her face. If I hear a bee, I freak out. I don't even have to see it. <laughs> I just hear the buzz, and I I start flailing my arms I around. I just run. <laughs> it's just like uh. I want to make, I, I, I thought about this while I was watching this movie, I want to make a comedy movie that's about a family of beekeepers like this, but one of the kids is deathly allergic to bees, and he's like the black sheep of the family, and everybody hates him because he's allergic to bees and can't be around them, but it's a beekeeping family. That would be, that would be a really unfortunate situation to be born into. Yeah, because I was thinking about that. What if one of these kids is allergic to bees? I mean, they're everywhere. They're they're in their house. They're everywhere outside. There's just bees everywhere. So many bees. Yeah. Well, that's the wonders. Lots of bees. Lots of drama. Eh, somewhat. It's pretty good cinematography when it moves into the more magical realism type areas of the film. But everything else is just kind of... I wasn't even really impressed with that stuff, to be honest. I, I mean, I thought it was, it was just, okay, it, but... It was just too little, too late for me. Because it was yeah. all towards the end, you know, like when she gets in gets in bed with the family, and then the, the camera kind of circles around, and it mm-hmm. comes back, and everyone's gone. Yeah, that was interesting. I liked that. I just, I wish it was more like that for the entire, the entire film. Just kept you on your toes. Like, what the hell is happening here? Yeah. All right, let's give The Wonders a score. I'm going to give this one a 5.5 out of 10. I'm going to give it a 6. There you have it. I believe that this one is only playing in limited release right now, but feel free to to search it out on various VOD platforms. It seems like one that would pop up there relatively soon. Okay, let's move on to our next review of the day and we're talking about nasty baby this is written and directed by sebastian silva i have a synopsis here a close-knit trio navigate the idea of creating life while at the same time being confronted with a brutal scenario that causes causes them to take a life i feel like that's a that's a spoiler that that probably shouldn't have been mentioned in the synopsis but yeah we'll get to that. that too this stars Kristen Wiig, Sebastian Silva, and the guy from TV on the radio. <laughs> Tunde. I know how to say his first name. I don't know how to say it. How do you say his last name? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. That's why I'm saying the guy from <laughs> TV on the radio. Because I feel like that's more respectful than butchering his actual name. I guess. Uh, Mark Margolis is in this, too. And he, he does a really great job. I love pretty much anything he's in. I, yeah, anytime he shows up, I just get happy. And this, not to get too far ahead of myself, but I think that this was probably the best role he's ever done. I mean, he he just nailed he nailed it in this movie. Like he he changed his voice, and he was just a completely different character than he normally plays. Like he's typically kind of a character actor where he usually plays uh, an an ex mobster, you know, 
yeah. and usually plays a crime boss of some sort. But I, I feel like he really just nailed the role of Richard in this. Kevin, we'll start up with you. What'd you think of Nasty Baby? Uh, Nasty Baby. I was kind of surprised by this. Um, As was the, I. The first thing that I, because we already kind of mentioned, I was I was kind of thinking of okay, how how are we going to discuss this without really talking about like the the unexpected turn that it takes? But then when I put up on IMDb and I see that it's in the synopsis, I'm like, oh, there we can talk about okay. it. Okay, apparently they want that to be known, which seems really odd because of the way that it's that it's handled in the film. You know, it's essentially never discussed whatsoever and it comes out completely out of nowhere yeah so you're you're thinking that they they were trying to keep this under wraps and the trailer too also the trailer starts off much like the movie where it's an in pretty much has the feel of an indie comedy until the end when like stuff gets really crazy and they start playing this loud music and stuff and you know that something weird happens so i think it's it's evident that something happens in this movie that's a lot darker than, you know, what what happens throughout most yeah. of the film. But, yeah, even the trailer doesn't give away that they they kill somebody. And But I guess since the synopsis says it, they don't mind people knowing that. Yeah, apparently. I guess maybe they were worried about doing that because, it, I mean, it takes a 180 shift. Like, this is this is a movie that completely changes. And... Maybe they were worried about that uh, affecting some people that, I don't know. I don't, really, I don't know. But uh, I thought it worked. It worked for me, too. It worked for me when it took that shift. I thought that, I mean, it was a bit kind of uh, bit ridiculous in the way that they reacted and how they handled it. But the actual shift itself, I thought, worked rather well. The whole lead up to it and how kind of how they, they, set, they set the scene for this for this action to happen later on in the film, you know, they kind of, they keep having these interactions with right. this person. Yeah. And I, th- and I think maybe that's, uh, another thing that the trailers and maybe the synopsis does is that, that it kind of plants the seed where, you know, from the beginning, as soon as they have their first interaction with this person, you get this kind of looming feeling that something is going to happen. Yeah. You don't know when, but something terrible is going to happen. It could happen at any moment. And I think that that really adds to the, the tension of this movie, which is, it's really interesting. It's, it's a really interesting film tonally because you have this indie comedy. I would call it an indie comedy. Yeah. And, but kind of right underneath the surface, you have this looming threat of, uh, I would say almost suspense that's, that's occurring. Yeah. Cause you have, you know, a mentally ill character, He's just completely unpredictable. Yeah. And he keeps popping up because he's in the neighborhood. He lives in keep, the neighborhood and they keep having to interact with him. Yeah. They keep having these altercations with him. And although at first it doesn't seem to be escalating, it's just, but it, yeah. Yeah. And once again, Freddy kind of makes, kind of exacerbates things. Guy just likes to go well, out early in the morning and clean the street. That's what he, likes to do. he just likes to leave below at five in the morning. Um, the the thing about that, which I think is interesting, is the I believe it was the f- the first time that it happens when he starts the leaf blowing at like seven in the morning. Freddie gets up. Freddie's played by Sebastian Silva, and he freaks out like he just loses it. And uh, 
Mo, the character played by uh, Tunde, he kind of um, alludes to the fact that maybe he does have some kind of anger problems. Yeah, because it it seems like it was an, it, they it was a callback to some maybe something he had previously where he has to go through you know and calm himself down. And I like that they added that in there. It was like kind of him letting us know like all right. Freddie does have a bit of a temper and he does tend to overreact and lose his cool very quickly. Yeah. And maybe irrationally. Yeah. So I, I like that they just added that in there letting us know, you know, this is a guy that, that does tend to lose his cool. Correct. I thought that was handled really well. I think just the the handling of pretty much everything I thought was pretty fantastic. Especially the 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 friendship with um Sebastian Silva Tunde. And Kristen Wiig, mm-hmm. and them trying to have a baby, and and enlisting the help of Kristen Wiig's character. I thought all that was fantastic. And then you have that, like you said, you have that underlying undercurrent of this unpredictable neighborhood character, so to say. Yeah, that keeps popping up every now and then, and you know that something's going to happen there, but you're not quite sure what it is. Yeah, or or when the when it's going to happen either. And then, so every time that he starts to pop up, it, it becomes very tense because then it, it kind of shifts into this completely different movie. Yeah, exactly. Now, going back to what you said about their friendship, their friendship felt very real. The dialogue felt very natural. How they would joke around with each other and kind of, you know, s- send each other funny pictures and just it felt like a really natural, yeah, real relationship. But on top of the added tension of the their neighbor, which was an ongoing threat, you also had kind of this this drama of them trying to have a baby and it's not working. And then they get, you know, they ask Mo if if he can be kind of the 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 father, the the donator um, instead of Sebastian or uh, Freddie. And so there's kind of this like drama with that as well like Kristen Wiig's having a really hard time with it she really wants to have this kid so there's that layer as well which I I liked that kind of added dramatic layer yeah the the only I think the only thing that I could really say that's kind of negative about this film is that the number one I think Ali Shawkat is just wasted yeah her character is just completely wasted I did like the the ridiculousness of um, Sebastian Silva's character, his his art project that he's working on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it necessarily needed. I thought it got too much screen time. It got a bit too much screen time throughout. I did like the the ending of it and what kind of creates the terrible day that he's having. And yes, just the ridiculous. Yes. I, I love the how the, it's kind of thrown back into his face because his number one, his project is ridiculous. Number two, he's a performance artist and most performance artists, their art is ridiculous and it makes no sense and it's completely pointless. And then the fact that to decide if he's going to be in this group show or not, they essentially (laughs) use a a performance piece, you know, contemporary. The Oracle. The Oracle. You know, it's essentially thrown back in his face, and he I, can't and he can't comprehend it. He's like, no, "This makes no I, sense." I love it. He this was ridiculous. He was, he was so funny in that scene where he's just trying to. He's like, "What? 
what is this? What are we doing here? And the guy's like, we're, this is, we're consulting the Oracle. We're going to get the answers from the Oracle. He's like, what is the Oracle? He's like, are you serious? What is going on here? Uh, That was, that was really funny. And, and um, yeah, I, I liked that. I liked that quite a bit. Yeah. It's just, you know, it was just, a bit too much to have to, to keep seeing over and over again Sebastian Silva playing a baby. Yeah. Like the like the lead up to it and all that. It's just like okay, I, I I get it. I get your performance piece. I don't need Did you, did you uh pick up on the little jab they made at a at a, a uh what's her name? Uh Abramovich. Abramovich. Yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> I, I did you, you, I figured you'd appreciate that. I did like it because essentially he's saying the same thing about himself, but he you know he obviously holds himself in a much higher regard. Yeah. Yeah. But so I mean, I like that little bit, but the lead up to it, I thought it was just a bit too much. Yeah. Uh, I will agree with you that Aaliyah Shalkat is, was a little bit underutilized. I would like to see more of her. Did you see the broad city episode with her in it? Yeah, of course. Oh my God. <laughs> I loved that. She was a producer on this movie too. Aaliyah Shalkat. Um, she she was great. I like her in anything she's in. So yeah, yeah yes, agree. more more of her, please. I do like that they. I don't, know, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but after the event occurs at the end, basically everybody gets involved, and I kind of like the way that it went with that, where it wasn't just one person dealing with it or even two of them dealing with it. They kind of all had to deal with it together. Yeah, I kind of liked that and. The event itself, I thought, was uh, very realistic looking, very brutal, and and really almost difficult to watch in, yeah. in its realism. But, you know, the neighborhood has to get together, clean up that neighborhood. Yeah. Which is, I did like, I also liked the, the, the last altercation with him and his leaf blower, and then how the cop comes over, because mm-hmm. I've had the exact same experience with... I, if you remember my mm-hmm. schizophrenic mm-hmm. neighbor that said that the masters of the universe were going to come down and fucking destroy me and my wife. And it, it was pretty much met the same way. Like when I called the police and when I talked to my building manager, you know, the, the kind of things that I got was like, well, he's schizophrenic, so he's not dangerous. Yeah, he's harmless. He's harmless. I know, like the building manager tells me, I know for a fact he doesn't have any guns. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Do you check his house every day? how do you know this? And I can be killed with things other than guns. Yeah. Exactly. And number two, it's not that hard to get a gun. Yeah. It's, just, it's very, uh, I had quite the same experience. Mine didn't involve a leaf blower. Mine was just a more elaborate. I was following him for 10 years, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, of course. And I, would, and I would whistle at him. Stalking him. And the, and the best, yeah. And the best thing is like when I talked to the cops or anything, and I was like, yeah, he, you know, he has this elaborate backstory. And me and my wife whistle at him. And the first question out of their mouths every single time was, well, wh- why are you whistling at him? And it's like, I, I do, why are you taking his side? <laughs> like, I've explained everything to you. <laughs> Number one, I can't whistle. Nice callback there. Exactly. Two other things I want to mention about this movie. One, Constance Schulman, who's the bishop's girlfriend. She's from Orange is the New Black. She does a great job, even though she's not in it very much either. Everyone and does a good job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like the scene when they took the little trip to Moe's family's place a lot. 
I thought that that was really interesting because that added yet another layer where, you know, he, they were kind of getting the family reaction to this whole concept. Like, you know, it was probably difficult enough for his family to accept him as being gay. And now they're kind of having to comprehend or accept the fact that he's about to possibly have a child with his his partner and his friend. Yeah. And I liked seeing how that played out, especially with the uh with his sister and his sister's reaction to it. Yeah. I liked that uh that that whole interaction, that whole scene as well. So, yeah, really surprised with this one because I've only seen two of uh Silva's other films. I, I saw Crystal Fairy and Magic Magic and I thought the Magic Magic was okay. I didn't love it, but I I didn't really like Crystal Fairy at all. And I I thought that this was by by far his his best that I've seen out of those three. Yeah, I've only seen two. That's this and the Maid. And while I I, the Maid was good, but Maid I, is Maid is great. I really enjoyed the Maid, and I also really enjoyed this. So my my interactions with Silva's movies have been full on positive. Nice, good, good. All right. Any final thoughts on um, on this one? Before we give a score? Uh, no, I don't think so. Score yeah. it up. All right, what are you going to give Nasty Baby out of 10? I'm going to give Nasty Baby uh, 7.5. I'm also going to go with the 7.5 on this one. Highly recommend this. I can confirm that this one is available on VOD and playing in select cities. So oh. check it out. It's it's well worth a look. I did, I inadvertently, and I didn't try this. I had no idea. I did have a back-to-back uh reggie kathy oh yeah double bill yeah i watched this after i watched the machinist which he was also in so that was yeah. kind of unexpected double billing there nice cool very cool yeah he does he does a fantastic job as well didn't didn't really mention him too much in yeah. our review but yeah he's he's great all right it's watch list time let's start it with you kevin this week what's on your watch list i got i got a lot of stuff try and run through real quick first first thing i got after and i forgot to talk about this on the last show but i got two shorts one you can watch right now for free on either at nobudge.com or on vimeo by uh it's a 16 millimeter short film by sam coon uh called in search of the miraculous and it's kind of uh in memory of dutch conceptual artist bastian adder and it's kind of him like reenacting some of his performances and whatnot and uh i don't know why or for what reason uh but i just thought it was perhaps one of the best things i've seen all year just i loved absolutely everything about it it's just completely full of uh beauty and wonder and i just absolutely i i I watched it i think like 12 times now wow yeah I, i i watched it like 12 times i've been obsessed with it Hmm. it's fantastic i definitely say check that out uh and then another one is disco inferno that is like a, a horror short from alice waddington I and saw this one did you see this one mm-hmm. the black and white imagery yeah. uh, oh boy she completely nailed the the classic look oh my this. goodness i mean it looks ooh, it's unbelievable man. i can't wait i want that for a feature length yeah they need she needs to make that into a feature length film or anything i don't i don't know if she has something just else that she wants style 
yeah just as long as it's that style give it to me please i want more of it which this one you can't see yet i don't think but keep an eye out for it because this is to me it's it's exciting because it's just the possibility of what we might see in the future i'm just i'm really excited for that hopefully that comes to fruition and we get a horror feature from her in that yeah. black and white style playing with those silent film techniques i want yeah. it uh, I saw one that I uh, can't recommend. It's called Lazarus Effect. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Directed by David Gelb. This, I just watched this because it's on Netflix Instant, and even though I heard bad things, I thought to myself, well, I just want to see if maybe I can figure out where this went wrong. Because it stars Olivia Wilde, Mark Duplass, Donald Glover, Evan Peters. Good cast. Good cast. Yeah. But, man... Holy crap, is this a stinker. What happened? I, I don't even understand. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how this could have gone so wrong. Was it the script? Was it something that happened in post? What happened with this movie? But it was so awful. Awful. Really? Yeah. So basically... Now, now there's a part of me that wants to watch it. Because I, I feel as though I, I have to look into it, too. The only thing that sets this apart from a straight-to-DVD, generic horror movie, just bland, is is the cast. And it's a good cast, but man, are they underutilized in every single way. Mm -hmm. Basically, they play a team of scientists who figure out a way to essentially reanimate the dead. And through an accident, Olivia Wilde gets killed and they bring her back to life but it's not her <gasps> what it is so it's laughably bad so lazarus effect cannot recommend avoid i watched the movie with mark duplass creep yeah now i saw your, creep. your review on letterboxd here yeah, i take a little bit of an issue with it but okay tell... uh creep found footage horror i say that in quotes air quotes um I don't really understand this and why it exists and what was the point of it because I, I, there's nothing. There's nothing for me whatsoever. I mean, I think the, the ending was a little bit, was interesting, but then they immediately followed it up by completely ruining it with the, the ridiculous jump scare at the end. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but that and wasn't then, enough. You know, and then him you know, moving on with this layer, however you want to phrase that. I don't want to give too much away. So I don't know, you know, exactly what I can talk about, what I can't. I just, I did not believe his character whatsoever. And I just don't believe any of this. And obviously I know it's a movie, um, but I just, I couldn't get into it. Outside of Duplass, I thought Duplass was perfect for his character because that's what you need. You need that guy that seems you know, really friendly, but he's able to have that kind of where you keep kind of guessing. Mm-hmm. Well, unless you get the help that the movie's called Creep. But I just thought that he was absolutely perfect for that role. I do wish that maybe there was a, someone else in the, because essentially this is a two-hander with, you know, two characters going on here, Mark Duplass and then the, the actual yeah. filmmaker, Patrick Bryce. And I, there's a part of me that thinks maybe if, Patrick Bryce wasn't there and it was someone else that, that this might have worked a bit better because mm-hmm. I just I couldn't get into his character. 
it was just a rough performance. He just didn't I, yeah. seem natural for the, the for the found footage. You know what I mean? The yeah. way that he was reacting and stuff, it just wasn't buying it. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't mind that at all in this. I, I actually like this, and and I'm somebody who at this point is very jaded when it comes to but found footage. It but. is it is funny because I I vaguely remember you talking about this movie. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was something when we first meet Mark Duplass's character, and I'm like, you know, when he Patrick Bryce gets to the house and everything, he's I'm like, I know Adam said that there's something really great about this how they meet. And then all of a sudden when he pops up at the car and when he's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. That's like, yeah. Yes. That's what it was. Yeah. That <laughs> it was, was fantastic. That was, the, that was the best part of the whole movie. Hands down. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe that's what, what is also kind of rough about it is that happens right off the bat. Right, like, yeah. Right at the beginning, the funniest thing. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if we can reach that again. And unfortunately we don't. Yeah. But. I like this. Uh, you should check out. There's a there's a podcast called Facing the Critics, and it's I don't know if you ever heard of the the Twitter account Amazon Movie Reviews. Yes, yeah. Where he he, he posts the ridiculous. <laughs> well, well, the guy that runs that Twitter has a podcast now, and what he does is he gets directors on and reads off the reviews for their movies, and they kind of talk about it. And in one of the episodes, he has Patrick Bryce on and they talk about the the one star amazon reviews that they got. It's, it's really interesting I, I recommend checking that that podcast out that's great actually yeah he gets like he has like riley stearns on there he has um rodney asher on there he has justin benson and aaron moorhead he's got a lot of people on there that so it's, it's, i might have to check that out that sounds great yeah yeah check that out uh, all right. Let's see. What 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 do I have on my list here? Sorry, I gotta pull it back up. I I saw a, a film called Punk Vacation from 1987. Right. Boy, I had a blast with this one. Oh my god! So it's basically this gang of this gang of 80s punk rockers that li- they leave the city and they go into this kind of sleepy desert town and everything's fine at first because they're kind of on the outskirts they're not bothering anybody they're just kind of they don't the people of the town don't even know they're there they're just sticking with themselves but one day one of the punk punk rock guys goes to this gas station to get himself a soda and there's no orange soda and then to make matters worse the machine eats his quarter oh fuck and he goes and complains, and the guy at the at the gas station basically pulls a shotgun on him. Things escalate. The guy ends up, the the older gas station owner ends up getting killed, and a kind of a war breaks out between the the people of this town and this group, this gang of punks, and it's just utterly ridiculous in every sense. And I loved it. I thought it was just. A blast. Now, where did you? Where were you able to see this? Oh, so this I saw on Exploitation okay. TV. The, that's, uh, what I, that's what I was. I was yeah, figuring. the the Vinegar Syndrome. Um, now they did release a remastered version of this on Blu-ray. I believe Vinegar Syndrome actually released it, so you can pick it up if you don't have the the streaming service. Because this is like one of those fun watches. Yeah, I mean it's it's gloriously eighties. I mean it's just yes gloriously the the 
dialogue is so weird and awful, but it's, uh, yeah, I had a blast with it. One of my favorite lines, and this might not be as funny because it's just, it comes out of nowhere. And he, the, the gas station owner gets in this argument with his daughter and she kind of leaves and he just goes, ever since she joined the chamber of commerce, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, what? <laughs> uh, I have heard that that does really change a person. Yeah. Once you get in with the chamber of commerce, you know, you start becoming all uppity. Yeah. Not, I don't really know if that's true, but no, sure. I'm just, I'm just making that up. <laughs> I don't know anyone that's in the Chamber of Commerce. My my girlfriend worked for the Chamber of Commerce for a while. It didn't really make her uppity, but maybe that's different because she actually but, work worked. Now, see, don't don't you get sad now that you found out about this line after her working there that you now you can't use it? Well, she was watching it with me, and she was like, "What?" It was just it was so funny, but because imagine because imagine yeah. if you saw Punk Vacation way back. Before she started working at the chamber, mm, mm-hmm. you'd be throwing that line around. Oh, I'd be throwing it around. Yeah, exactly. It's, it is unfortunate. I'd be throwing that line around everywhere. Just, oh man, the timing just was off. That's, yeah, that's unfortunately. Sucks. I'm sorry for you. Yeah, still had a good time, time with the movie. <laughs> yeah, I okay. Since you had a good time, I'll go with one that I didn't have a good time with, and that's five centimeters per second. This is a animated feature, Japanese from uh, Makoto. Shinka, and this is relatively short. It's from 2007. It's only like a little bit over an hour long, but oh my goodness, there is so much sentimentality in here that it's to the point where it almost asphyxiated me because it just keeps shoving it down your goddamn throat. It is so overwrought. It is just that saccharine melodrama that I, you know, that I just can't stand. And it was just that over. And over and over again with the music too, and it's it's like it's broken up into three stories, right? It's like three chapters, and what it centers around is this: these eighth graders that meet and instantly fall in love. So you have that you're dealing with eighth graders, all right? So like that's pretty damn annoying to begin with, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they get into the melodramatic like romance and love and all mm-hmm, that, and you're mm-hmm, like, you're, mm-hmm. you're in fucking eighth grade, shut up. So you got that going on. You have the the all the music with the piano and this trying to, you know, make you feel things. It's just not working. And so much of the dialogue is just god awful. Like there's one where she's talking about, you know, this guy that showed her some attention and she's like, Oh, if I was a dog, he would have known how happy I was because my tail would have been wagging. And you're just like, What? the fuck am i watching i'm a a grown man what am i watching (laughs) what is this Mm. i just and the thing that really got me right is the main reason i checked this out is because of all the rave reviews like everyone on letterboxd just about is like four stars four and a half stars Oh, it's such an emotional experience. It makes you feel so many different emotions. It's unbelievable. How can they jam pack that much into you know just an hour long movie? Oh, and the 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 uh, the animation is so oh, unbelievably gorgeous. And for me, number one, the animation is basic. It, it it's not impressive whatsoever. Now, the animation of the the backdrops and the backgrounds 
they're pretty fantastic. I'll give you that. They do look beautiful. But the actual animation of the characters and stuff, just it's basic stuff. It's just bare bones. It's, I don't understand anything about this movie. And hmm. how you can see that it has redeeming factors or qualities. Because I don't I didn't see any. I don't know if I've watched the wrong one. If there's another <laughs> five centimeters per, per second out there and I got the wrong one by accident, like the, the kitty version, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But I cannot recommend this. And this is maybe one of the worst things I saw this year. Mm, that's a shame. I just I hated it. Like my body just kept rejecting it. Every time someone would open their mouth or I'd hear that terrible piano. It's just like my body was like, no, stop it. But I just, I, I powered on, mostly because it was only an hour long. Like, if it was two hours long, I would have turned that shit off and sent it back. Yeah. How did you see this one? This is I got this little DVD from Netflix. Instantly regret that decision. And that's five centimeters per second. I saw one that I also don't recommend, and that's Tremors 5 Bloodlines. <laughs> really? Tremors yeah. 5 is not a recommend. Here's Here's what I'll say about Tremors 5, and this is the only positive that I'm going to say about it. It's not as bad as any of the other sequels. Okay. I'll say that. No. Now, I love the first Tremors. Love it. It it will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah. But the the sequels, even as uh, a youngster, when I saw Tremors 2, when that came out, I hated it. I hated Tremors 2, even as a kid. Could not stand it. The fact that they changed them and made them have legs and walk above ground, I thought that that was just stupid. Yeah. Uh, so, needless to say, I hated all the sequels. This one is the best of them. It's okay. still not good. It stars freaking uh, Jamie Kennedy. That was going to be my first question. Yeah, so. he's terrible in it. He plays oh. this. <laughs> he plays this like extreme sports motocross guy, and he's awful. The other slightly positive I'll say is that the effects work was not nearly as bad as I fully expected it to be. I thought that it was going to be Sharknado levels of special effects, and it wasn't. It was They weren't horrible. They weren't great, but they were a lot better than I expected them to be as far as the effects work. Yeah. Uh, other than that, that's pretty much it as far as positives everything else was stupid i feel like they just didn't with the sequels they didn't understand what made the first one great you know there there are certain scenes that i can talk about in the first tremors like the boardwalk scene you know where it's when it's uh going underneath the boardwalk and you see the the boards all popping up in like a wave scenes like that that are kind of to me iconic where it's like you is when you first see that you remember it like that's the one big scene these movies, it's just stupid. It's just dumb crap that happens. Yeah. And they're just, it's not memorable. Oh, uh, one other positive. They kept the the style, like the, the font and title, the, how they did the title in the original one. They brought that back for this one. So it kind of has this almost retro 80s look to it. <laughs> or 90s. The biggest positive for this movie is they kept the font. Yeah. It's a good choice. I, I'd like that they did that. It was, it was yeah, cool. but I'm, you know what I mean. Like when you're, when one of the biggest it, positive yeah. of the film yeah. is the font choice. Oh yeah, exactly. Not... You're grasping at straws at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't say anything else about this. It's I, just I, not. I want to rewatch Tremors so bad. It's fantastic. I love it's, Tremors. It holds up. It holds up incredibly well. The sequels, not so much. 
This one takes place in South Africa, so that's kind of interesting too. Hmm. But yeah, not not great, not great. This one hmm. you can you can watch it on Netflix Instant. So you know, check it out if you want. If you liked any of the sequels, though, if you like Tremors two or three or four, you might want to check this one out because it is better than those. Okay, all right. I watched uh, uh, something else that was disappointing. Uh, Jigoku. This is a horror film from 1960. Japan, this is on uh, on uh, Criterion. So I figured Criterion's got to be good. 1960, Japanese horror film. It's got this surreal depiction of hell. Okay, let's get into it. Um, it takes forever to get to hell, first off. Um, and it involves this, this Shiro guy who's he's engaged, and there's a hit and run, and then like his guilt gets to him. And then essentially everywhere he goes, people die. Like everyone just dies. Mm. And then they're they're all different types of sinners. So they all meet in hell, and hell is just like this empty space, this like white flat river that has like fog rolling off of it. And then you just there's different things that you have to do in hell. Like the one guy gets flayed constantly, which uh, some of the effects work that they use for this is you know for 1960 it's pretty. They show a guy. They, they pull the cover off of him, and it's just his head there, and he's screaming. There's a lot of screaming at the end. I mean, it's hell, hmm. so everyone's just screaming. Um, so it's just his head there, and he's screaming, and his body is just all the skin's missing. So all you see is the bones and all the organs and stuff, which was it was quite impressive. Hmm. Um, there's a couple of things like people getting cut in half and whatnot. Um, but the thing that I wasn't ready for was apparently in 1960. The, the depiction of hell, at least for this director, um, apparently it's just a guy, well, numerous people, running around and shouting out names. Just yelling names over hmm. and over and over again. Just yelling names, left and right. Just an endless parade of yelling names to the point where, holy shit, is it annoying. Mm. It is so... and. The unfortunate thing is you have all this surreal imagery going on where it's like every time that something pops up where you're like, oh, my God, look at this. Look at this. This is fantastic. Immediately someone yells the name and you're just like, shut the fuck up. I'm trying to enjoy your surreal depiction of hell. Can you shut your mouth? And then someone else will yell out a name. And then another guy will yell out the same name 14 times in a row. And you just want it to end. Mm. You just want it to end. But there is a, a funny... Like I said, he get everywhere he he goes, people die. Um, he's on a, a rope bridge, right? And this this woman confronts him and wants to kill him. She has a gun, everything. Um, so she takes one step on the rope bridge, completely loses her balance. I mean, she's apparently never walked on a rope bridge before, and just falls over the rope bridge hmm. to her death. And the best part is, is that immediately when she falls, everything about her falling is hilarious because it's just <laughs> one step, and then she somehow just tumbles over the edge of the rope bridge for some reason. Uh, and so the immediately overhead cut of her falling and you, what you can tell is clearly a dummy just flailing like a rag doll. <laughs> I love that. And they just, they keep it on and they, they even have it when it like hits the rocks below and it kind of ricochets off of all the rocks. And it's just, it's hilarious. And then the funny thing is that then another guy comes out and they get into a bit of a scuffle. And he also falls off the rope bridge. And apparently they were so happy with the effects of the first fall that they, they did the exact same thing for the second one. And no. that one's just as hilarious. God. 
<laughs> so it sounds like that one does not hold up. No, it doesn't. No, it, a lot of it is very funny. Very funny. Speaking of time, I saw Back in Time, which was a documentary about Back to the Future. Okay. So it kind of looked at the the phenomenon of the films and it was sort of like a making of but then it, it also talked a lot about the fandom and the, the people that build their own delorean time machines and kind of the impact of of the films on our culture and all this stuff but man this is amateur hour this movie is very very poorly put together and i feel bad because i backed this on kickstarter but uh yeah this was one of our kickstart sunday picks it it started off different i believe i think that they ended up changing the content of this but anyway it's divided into parts but there's really no reason for the parts because they jump around so much that there really is no structure because it starts with part one, and that's supposed to be about the movie, and then part two is supposed to be about the fans. But it's just just a mishmash. It mixes everything together throughout. So there's no point in having parts to it. Yeah. It's all just thrown together. Uh, and they have they they interview Leah Thompson, Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Robert Zemeckis. So they get everybody from the movie uh, involved with it, which is good. They get Bob Gale in there too. And, and Steven Spielberg. So they, they got all the big players. Mm-hmm. But just there's just not a whole lot here. There's just not... It's not interesting. Le- like, learning about the people that build DeLorean time machines is just not that interesting. You can briefly touch on it, you know? But yeah. it's, for it to sustain a, a whole documentary, it's just... Ugh. That's yeah. The, yeah, that's the problem with a lot of documentaries. One interesting thing I learned... Um, probably the most interesting thing I learned is that in the original script for back to the future, the, the end of the film was supposed to be a scene, basically the, you know, the nuke, the fridge scene in Indiana Jones, the kingdom of the crystal skull. I never saw that movie. Yeah. But you've heard the term nuke, the fridge, right? I guess. No, no. Well, there's Okay. So one of the most infamous scenes in that film was when Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones finds out that he's at a nuclear test site and it's uh there's this city that's built to look like a like a 50s uh, style city and they're about to test a, a nuclear bomb and to avoid getting blown up he gets inside of a, a refrigerator and the bomb goes off and he survives by hi- by hiding in a fridge and that's where the term nuke the fridge comes from Turns out that that was actually that scene was actually in the original version in the original script for Back to the Future. Yeah, but they took it out because it was ridiculous. <laughs> so that was really the most interesting thing that uh, that I got from Back in Time. <laughs> this again is available on Netflix Instant, but even as a fan of Back to the Future, I can't recommend this one. Which... I think that it. There's probably on the on like the Blu-rays or whatever. There's probably a making of for each of them. Yeah, I would probably rather just watch that. And, and Dan, Dan Harmon, Dan Harmon is in this for some reason. And I mean, they talk about Rick and Morty too, because you know Rick and Morty is basically 
a riff on Back to the Future. It's, it was yeah. inspired by Back to the Future. And they talked to Dan Harmon, and at one point he's like, he's like, let's be honest, parts two and three sucked. And it's like, why would you put that in, in this movie that's supposed to be celebrating the Back to the Future movie? Yeah. Why would you have him in there talking about how shitty the sequels are? Which is untrue, by the way. I think the second one's the best. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and a lot, I've read on, on Letterboxd a lot of people complaining about Dan Harmon's the interviews with him. Because they were very... It, they, they're weird. <laughs> they're definitely weird. Huh. But yeah, can't can't recommend it. I can recommend something. And this was I rewatched. I haven't rewatched something in quite some time. It's been a while since I do some rewatches. I watched Fargo yesterday. Man, the second season of uh Yeah, uh, yeah. Show. And I think this is finally gonna propel me into watching into you the, have to. watching the show. I think this is what I needed to get into it. Because we popped Fargo on because it was leaving Netflix instant. I think it left today. So we we're like, Oh, we have one one day left to watch Fargo. Let's pop Fargo in there. And I, you know, I haven't seen it in a while and I like Fargo. Um, but I didn't quite remember how great Fargo is to the point where I don't know if there's anything negative I can say about Fargo. No, it's, I, I wouldn't throw the term masterpiece around a lot. I mean, I don't, but I think it's pretty Fargo for me is, that's a near masterpiece, if not. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty unbelievable. And Deacon's cinematography in Fargo is oh boy, oh boy, is it good. There's just so much greatness going on. All the performances are fantastic. The story itself is great. The writing is fantastic. Uh, the cinematography, the music. I mean, there's really nothing that I can. There's really no aspects here that I can really say anything bad about. Yeah, yeah. You should. You definitely need to see the show. The show is uh, so surprising in just how incredible it really is. I mean, it feels like you're watching a movie every week. Yeah. And the se- the second season is to me so far, it's just as good as the first. Maybe the first kind of still outshines it because nobody really knew how good it was going to be or if it was going to work at all. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the big surprise about the first season is just how good it was. The second season, to me. The second season takes place in the 70s, which immediately makes me love it. It also has Bokeem Woodbine doing what? The, the accent. Yeah, it's, what? It's Are you serious that he does the accent? He does it. Well, he's from Kansas City. His character's from Kansas City. So he does this kind of, it's not quite the the accent, but it's, it's, it's like, like kind of a, an offshoot of it. Because he's not from there, but he's from kind of around. It's really interesting. Now, the only thing that I can say negative about Fargo is that, and this is more so on my part, is after I watch Fargo, I, I tend to speak like that <laughs> for like the rest of the day, which really annoyed my wife, which was another reason that I kept doing it. Yeah, of course. So, uh, yeah, I, I just kept saying, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think I'm going to burf. <laughs> uh, Steve Buscemi in that movie, too. Oh my goodness! I love you, Fargo. Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's great. It's it's that perfect blend of comedy and crime thriller. It's it's great. Darkness. Yeah, and oh. the the cast that they get for the the show is fantastic too. The new season has Patrick Wilson and Ted Danson, um, and Kieran Culkin was in the first episode, and it's uh. It's great. Kirsten Dunst is in this the second season too, and the one guy who I always forget who he is from uh, Breaking Bad, 
that I always I like pretty much everything I've seen him in. He's in it too, and yeah, great stuff. Fargo, fantastic, fantastic movie, fantastic show. I saw one. This will be the last one I talk about today. This was kind of an interesting one. This is also available on Netflix, uh, Instant. It's called Circle. It actually came out just a few weeks ago, but the premise is 50 people wake up standing in a circle and there are these lighted red they're standing on these lighted red circles on the floor okay if you move off the circle they find out pretty quickly if you move off the circle you die you get electrocuted this there's this kind of black dome thing in the middle of the circle that zaps you if you move off the circle now every two minutes a these lights that have these kind of arrows on them on the floor They'll start spinning around, and when it stops, whoever it stops on, they will get killed. They'll get electrocuted. And the group eventually finds out that it's essentially voting. You're voting for who you want to die, and whoever gets the most votes gets killed. So it's basically about this group of people figuring out, you know, how can we get out of here? Who should we save? Who should we kill? And it gets into, like, a lot of these kind of it gets into a lot of like social political issues like do we kill the old people do we kill the disabled person and then there's like race gets involved where somebody wants to kill you know the minority person because he looks like he's a gangbanger or oh. somebody who may be a drug addict or somebody who is uh like one of the ladies uh, had cancer but she's in remission and it's kind of them trying to figure out who to save and who to kill. So, pretty interesting premise. I mean, it's a movie that takes place in one location with a group of actors who are not moving. Yeah. So, visually, they did what they could, but it's still pretty pretty boring. And yeah. because it's a black room, too, the room is completely black. Yeah. So, all you have is total darkness, black room, and then these red lights on the floor. If you see the poster, it's that's exactly what it looks like throughout the whole movie. So with a movie like this, it is it completely hinges upon the performances of the the actors, and they're not great. It's they're average at best. Some people are better than others. I mean, it's a, a big cast. However, a lot of them don't have any speaking lines because they get zapped before they can even talk. But it's pretty much done in real time too. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting experiment. I've seen a lot of people compare it to Cube or Exam. Yeah. I liked it less than Cube because Cube had more going on. There was more of a mystery to Cube where there were different rooms and they were trying to figure out the traps and stuff like that. And each person had their own strengths and weaknesses. So Cube, I thought, was way better. Exam, maybe it's more in line with Exam, but... I kind of, I kind of liked it. I, I kind of recommend it. It's, it was an interesting premise. Hmm. It does sound interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. But I didn't like the end. That was one thing that, that kind of brought it down for me. You know, the other big thing with movies like this is the big reveal, the big finale has to be something pretty spectacular to make it feel worth it. Yeah. And I thought that the end was a little lackluster. Gotcha. But you can check this out on Netflix Instant. It's available now. It's called Circle. All right. Well, I'm going to be honest here. This watch list is taking a while, man. We watch a lot of movies. I got three left, so I'm just going to rattle through them real quick. Yeah, just rattle. It's going to be quick. All just right. Just rattle. I got a Venezuelan 
horror, suspense, thriller, whatever you want to call it. I saw this on Hulu, which is the first time I ever watched a movie on Hulu that wasn't a Criterion. So that was different. Hmm. Uh, it's called The House at the End of Time. Uh, it's pretty, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, apparently in this house, whenever it's 11, 11, 11, right? Date, nap. And then the time is also 11, 11, 11. Got them six 11s going. And then at that time, all the time frames of the world, whatever, exist at the same time. So you, you're interacting with the old you and the new you and the, the future you or some shit. I don't know. Everything turns into a mess. It's kind of interesting, but for the most part, it doesn't really work that well. It has really amateurish quality to it. It kind of looks like a TV movie. It's it's a bit rough. I mean, there's mm. some good ideas going on in there, but you know, execution of it, mm, a bit too much. Plus, it gets it goes it gets pretty contrived towards the end. I mean, out of out of control. Um, like I said earlier, I watched The Machinist, which number one, it was really difficult to look at Christian Bale like that for an entire movie because that yeah. shit. It's disgusting. A little gaunt in that one. Yeah, and then he fucking does the, he like moves his body and shit, and it's yeah, it's like wearing shirts for some reason. It's good God, and he has a goatee. It's nothing worse than having a goatee. Um, I think the goatee was actually the worst part. Uh, this I, I thought it was okay. I'm not a, like a huge fan of these types of movies with him. You know. Kind of paranoid thriller. Paranoid thriller, and you know that the entire time you're just getting clues left and right, and then you're just kind of waiting for the end for them to, you know, essentially you're just waiting around like, okay, well, tell me how all this comes together. And then they do, and you're like, oh, okay, that was all right. (laughs) Moving on? Yeah, it's just like, oh, okay. It's like you don't have to draw it out that long. Like, let's just make it like 20 minutes. Just get it over with. Because the, like, at number one, I I couldn't stand the music. Just thought it was awful. The acting wasn't that great, and I don't know. It just it didn't really come together for me in the end. So it's like a it's like an eh on that one. And then the last one, which I actually wrote a review for, so I won't talk about it much. And that's Funny Bunny. That at some point in time will come out this year, maybe or next year. I don't know. Allison Bagnale, so the director, has Kentucker Audley in there, Ali or Ali Alexander, and Jocelyn Jensen, and I I recommend this one. So like a light recommend. So whenever this one comes out, it's uh it's got that heavy heavy on the quirk. It just fucking quirk everywhere. But I think for me at least, it was it was kind of uh deployed in a different in a different manner. A lot different than usually when you're looking at indie comedies that just pile on quirk. They just hmm. they just pile on top of you until you die. Is that like a comedy? It's if, it's kind of like maybe like there might be some stuff that makes you chuckle, but it's mostly a drama. Okay, cool. It's mostly just sad, fragile people. And that is Funny Bunny. Funny Bunny. Not, not out. Not out right now. Not out right now, but that's why it's a, for future reference. Keep an eye on it. Yep. Okay, let's talk about some movie predictions. Last week, Burnt, you said 32, I said 46. Actual 29 on Burnt. Ooh. Yeah, not too good. And our brand is Crisis. You said 52, I said 56. Actual 33. Mm. Yeah, so not uh not too not too good. I didn't I didn't see anything this week in theaters. So, 
I might try to go catch something today. I did not see love as I planned to. Ah, yeah, thing things got in the way, but it's it's playing raked uh, like a block away from me at the indie theater, so I'm gonna try to go see. It's in 3D there too, so I might actually pay to go see it. And next week we have the Peanuts movie. We thinking about uh, the Peanuts movie? Uh, no thanks. I'm actually interested in this one. I think it. I think it looks. I like the animation style a lot, so. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and predict this one. I'm going to say 76 on the I'm, Peanuts movie. I'm going to go 72. Okay. And we also have Spectre. Spectre? I'm probably going to see some Spectre. Yeah, now you were you were a big fan of Skyfall, as was I. I enjoyed it. I thought I that it was a Skyfall. really, really interesting direction that they took Bond, Mr. Bond, in. So what are you thinking on Spectre? Spectre, I'm thinking 70. Now, it should be noted that Sam Mendes back to direct this one, and I believe, um, who who did the cinematography for Skyfall? I think, wasn't that Deacons? Was it Deacons? I, I thought sure it was. Deacons. I'm pretty sure he's back for Spectre as well. Deacons. Don't quote me, but I'm going to say 78 on Spectre. Uh, Looking up I, Deacons right now, what's Deacons got going on? No, he didn't do Spectre. Oh, he didn't? Yeah, oh, man. Drop that That's down a... to 68, then. Uh, I already wrote it down. So he did do the it. cinematography for Hail Caesar, so... Yes. Nice. Yes. In limited release next week, we have Brooklyn. Okay. Not too, not too interested in this one, honestly. I believe it's a period drama. Yeah. The Hallow. That's good. I saw that one. Uh, it's kind of a creature feature. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. The Outskirts, uh, not too sure about what, what that one's all about. Spotlight uh, and Trumbo. Mm. Mildly interested in Trumbo. Trumbo looks like it's not going to be good. I'm mildly interested. Um, on Video on Demand next week, we have Bleeding Heart, The Hallow, Lost in the Sun. That's the one with uh, Josh, Josh DeMille. The Condemned 2. I don't understand why it took him so long. First, I don't understand why that exists. Secondly, I don't understand why they... It took them like 10 years to come out with a sequel. That was the one with Stone Cold Steve Austin in the original. Oh, yeah. Some other wrestler is starring in in this one. Nice. Uh, Wrecker. I don't really know what Wrecker is either. And Hot Sugar's Cold World. I'll be checking that one out. I'm interested in that one. Produced by David Gordon Green, Jody Hill. Okay. All right. It's a documentary, but it uh, looks quite good. I think you might be interested in that one too, Kevin, actually. Yeah, you don't know what I'm interested in. You're right, I don't. Don't even try and guess. Next week on Blu-ray, Inside Out. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'd say light recommend for me on Inside Out. Uh, yeah. Toy Story that time forgot. I honestly, I-, I saw this one. We'll be doing a Blu-ray review on this one. I liked it. Um, the The Toy Story straight to video or or tv specials have been pretty damn good i liked the the halloween one they did a few years back the animation style i mean it is pixar doing it and they get all the original voices back so it's the same quality as the movies so yeah recommend that one mannequin coming out on blu-ray nice (laughs) oh Um, my god yes Draft House Films is releasing Roar on Blu-ray. Oh, we have okay. Va- Vacation, which 
do not see that one. What a disappointment. The Final Girls, I recommend that one. Had a had a really, really fun time with that one. Probably one of the best uh, horror movies I've seen this year. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? The End of the Tour. Mild interest in that one. That's the one with Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg. Bloodsucking Bastards, yet another horror comedy. This one's about vampires. Can't recommend it. It's with Fran Kranz. Uh, Lego Brickumentary. Light recommend on that one. It's the one, the Lego documentary that's narrated by Jason Bateman. Before We Go, that's the one with Chris Evans and Alice Eve. Doesn't look very good, but haven't seen it. Stung, another horror comedy that I actually do recommend about giant wasps. <laughs> um, what else do we got here? Just going through the list. Uh, Alex of Venice, The Diabolical. That's a horror movie that just came out like a week ago. Haven't heard good things. Food Chains, yet another food doc. And that's pretty much it. Anything on the Criterion front? We have one, and that's an Eclipse series box set, number 44. Julian de Vivier in the 30s. So we got, what is this? Four, four movies from 1930 up to 1937. This is apparently right after he went into his transition into the talkies, from the silence to the talkies, which apparently he did with ease. Hmm. So there you go. Cool. I know nothing yeah, I guess, about that, so I'll just keep my mouth yeah. shut. Yeah, I guess, I guess check that out if you're interested. Also, Arrow is releasing Tenderness of the Wolves from 1973. Did you say Tenderness of the Wolves? Yeah. Wolves. Yeah. Like actual wolves? Wolves. Is this like a horror movie? I believe so. Because that number one, that is a great title. And yeah. second, I just want to see it. It's got a great cover, too, by the way. All right, I think that that is going to do it for the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions. Podcastfilmpulse.net is the address. You can follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. And if you get a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash FilmPulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber, and you can get the whole episode at the beginning of the week rather than the end of the week. For Kevin Rakeshaw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you on Ryan Watches a Movie. Mm. That's my garage door opening.